This is the Net Group Investments podcast where we explore a variety of views and insights that investors care about. As we approach the final quarter of 2023, it would be a good time to get up to speed on three of the major themes that have emerged in responsible investing this year. Uh, ESG regulation is becoming increasingly important, although the rollout of this continues to move at varying paces across the globe. There has been a fair amount of introspection from the asset management industry on diversity and gender representation, as well as championing social equity in the companies they invest in. But we would be amiss to not talk about climate change, given the record heat waves we are seeing across the globe. David, thanks again for joining us. I know it's a lengthy and complex topic, but could you maybe summarize for us how climate has been manifesting across the world and what conclusions we can actually draw from this? Uh, No mean feat, but I shall do my best. Thanks, Tumi, and thanks for having me. Uh, Latest data suggests that July 2023 was the hottest month ever recorded, with temperatures at least 1.5 degrees higher than pre-industrial levels. So those listeners that are familiar with the 1.5 degree target by 2100, this was effectively reached in July this year. Of course, that is one isolated month uh, in the Northern Hemisphere's summer. But uh, importantly, the scientific community maintains that this is almost certainly caused by the continued burning of fossil fuels. We're also learning a fair amount more about the oceans, so as they absorb as much as 90% of the warming that's taking place. And recently, global average sea surface temperatures hit their own record high, of around 21 degrees Celsius. So what does this all mean for humanity? Uh, Well, to quote a US researcher, warm water acts as rocket fuel for hurricanes. So as higher temperatures allow for easier evaporation into the atmosphere and subsequently releasing more energy, which allows for stronger storms to develop. So climatic data suggests that as these rapid intensification events are effectively tripling over the past 30 years, so since 1990. Typically, extreme storms form when the sea surface temperature breaches around 28 degrees Celsius. And this is a potential reason for the storms we saw in KwaZulu-Natal last year, so those extreme floods there. Extreme climate has also presented itself in some of the worst flooding in the Western Cape for decades. So some listeners will recall the loss of agricultural harvests, such as citrus in the Cedarburg area earlier on this year. We may debate the source of the Maui fires for some time, But without doubt, the drought there and vast areas of invasive grass acted like Kindle as powerful winds from a high-pressure zone to the north moved downwards towards a low-pressure zone in the south. And then, of course, we've seen all the headlines out of Greece and Canada, to name just a couple more. Mm. So what are the repercussions for large companies in the face of this? And I recently read a Fitch report that 20% of global corporations may face credit rating downgrades by 2035. So this would be due to climate vulnerabilities. Have they been proactive in actually managing this risk? Uh, to me, I think the answer is yes and no, uh, depending on the company you're looking at and the types of products they produce. Uh, I came across an article just last week that Suntum, a South African insurer, has flagged climate change as one of the key headwinds facing its business. And they're looking to prioritize the deployment of geocoding to minimize losses stemming from adverse weather. So geocoding essentially zooms into properties so that they can make assumptions on its vulnerability and and exposure, at least, to the different manifestations of climate change 
almost at a microclimate level, if you will, such as droughts, floodings, hailstorms, rising sea levels, etc. Hmm. So recent headlines have also hinted at the upcoming strong El Nino, which typically spells drier conditions for regions like Southern Africa. Um, now, experts have been warning us to prepare for the worst. So worrying times indeed, and, and this really drives home the imperative for climate mitigation at a national hmm. level. Another big theme too that's also emerged is investing around social equity. So with Women's Month that's being celebrated in South Africa in August. As you know, women are underrepresented in our industry. Can you maybe shed light on the current state of diversity in asset management as well as the companies we invest in? Well, uh, given my name is David, the old anecdote uh, isn't lost on me that there are purportedly more portfolio managers named David than there are women portfolio managers in the United Kingdom. The silver lining here is that women are better represented in the financial sector today than historically, but this can be a little bit skewed by roles in client services, marketing and ops, uh, as opposed to actually uh, managing money. And academic and industrial research continues to drum the beat that diversity in views leads to better decision-making and outcomes for investors. So a good place to start would be understanding where the hurdles lie or what discourages young uh, female talent from looking at asset management as a career option. And then regarding the companies that we invest in, so our latest annual responsible investment survey suggested that more than two-thirds of asset managers look to address people diversity issues. The 30% Club is one initiative championing gender representation in boardrooms, emphasizing the need for critical mass to drive change. So currently board members are often, or at least they often recommend individuals from their own networks, and this perpetuates a lack of diversity. So as asset managers, we have a role to play here in pushing management on their own representation targets. Mm. Thanks for that, David. There does appear to be few requirements in terms of gender and race diversity for listed companies, and it's clear that there's a lot of work to be done in promoting diversity and inclusion. Lastly, wage gap disclosures are another area that needs attention. What can you tell us about the lack of transparency in this regard? So I guess similar to representation, we also lack mandatory wage gap disclosures from listed companies. So while we as analysts um, and investors often discuss, we interrogate and pore over complex remuneration packages for the top earners, we often overlook the need for fair wages for lower level employees. Ensuring the dignity of all our workers, regardless of their position, should be a priority in responsible investing. Uh, we've started to notice a few corporates beginning to report on this data, and it's a trend we hope to see spread more broadly looking forward. Hmm. And finally, ESG investing has seen a striking divergence in approaches between the United States and the European Union. Now, in the US, ESG has become a political tool, while in the EU, they've taken aggressive steps with sustainable finance regulations. Can you, you know, shed some light on this? Absolutely, Tubi. This has been incredibly fascinating to follow. So we're witnessing a clear transatlantic divide when it becomes to ESG. So in the United States, ESG has become a focal point of political discourse with a clear separation of views between your typically blue and red states. So while Republicans head the so-called anti-ESG movement, we have President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, or the IRA, which marks a significant milestone in US climate legislation. So this has catalyzed private investment and a surge in clean energy jobs. 
In contrast, uh, the European Union has taken a regulatory approach, uh, implementing sustainable finance regulations to drive ESG integration across financial markets. It's fascinating how these regions are navigating the ESG landscape so differently. Now, let's talk about the Morningstar's recent findings regarding Article 8 and Article 9 funds in Europe. Could you break down the key takeaways from this report? Uh, Certainly. So, Morningstar's report, as you mentioned, highlights the performance of Article 8 and Article 9 funds in Europe. So Article 8 funds experienced net outflows. Uh, So Article 8 are more considered your light green funds, and their outflows have been to the tune of just south of 15 billion euros in the second quarter of 2023, mainly due to ongoing macroeconomic pressures. However, it's also worth noting that asset managers are increasingly incorporating carbon emission reduction objectives in their strategies, leading to upgrades from Article 6 to Article 8. On the flip side, your deep green or Article 9 funds saw inflows in the same quarter, albeit at their lowest on record, they still attracted around 3.5 billion euros. So overall, assets in both Article 8 and Article 9 funds crossed the 5 trillion euro milestone this year, indicating, in my view, continued growth in sustainable investing. And that's a significant milestone indeed. Um, It's also interesting to see how asset managers are embracing common emission reduction objectives. On that note, you mentioned that um, NetGroup Investments' recent moves in the ESG space. Can you tell us more about the funds that transitioned to Article 8 and their environmental and social characteristics, as well as your thoughts on the future of ESG investing generally? Uh, Certainly, Tumi. So, three of our funds recently transitioned to Article 8 status. Uh, These included our Global Equity, Global Behavioral and Global Property Funds. So, they now align with ESG criteria and aim to make a positive impact on both the environment and society while delivering financial returns. And in my view, the future of ESG investing is incredibly promising. We can expect continued growth with more funds incorporating ESG factors into their strategies. Regulatory bodies worldwide will likely play a more significant role in the standardizing, at least in standardizing ESG reporting and disclosures. And additionally, investors are becoming increasingly conscious of the environmental and social impacts of the investments. And this will drive demand for such sustainable options. David, thank you again for your valuable insights. Uh, and of course, the you know the dynamic world of ESG uh, investing, it's clear that ESG is not just a trend, but a fundamental shift in the investment landscape. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tumi. Always great to chat with you. Of course, that was David Levinson. He's uh, the head of responsible investing here at Net group investments. This podcast is for marketing information only. The information contained in the podcast or video was for information purposes and does not constitute advice, recommendation or an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any funds or strategies to any person in any jurisdiction in which the offer, recommendation or solicitation to purchase would be unlawful.